I feel better, but I sound worse. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 174 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Laura Roeder. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. I'm the founder of Edgar, meetedgar.com. We're a social media scheduling and automation tool that fills up your schedule for you so that you don't just have to deal with your queue running out over and over again. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually use Edgar, so <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you want to kind of explain a little bit of how it works, and then we can talk about why you built it that way? Yeah, yeah. So when we built Edgar, there were there were two core problems that we were bumping into at our own company. And the first big problem was wanting to repeat our best content. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of content that you might want to repeat on social media. To simplify, let's just talk about all your old blog posts. You know, if you do any kind of content marketing, you've spent months or years building up this library of blog posts. A lot of people send them out once or send them out a few times when they're new and then never again on social media. And that's just a huge missed opportunity. So we wanted to keep sending traffic back to our old content that was still really useful and relevant, but we didn't want to have to keep loading it up over and over again. And we also had a problem with getting the right mix on social media. Uh, if you're using a, a queue-based tool like Buffer, they make it really easy to just load up a lot of content and not have to schedule everything individually. But the problem you have from a workflow perspective is maybe you're going through all your old blog posts, but then you put those all in a buffer and then you have you know 30 blog posts in a row and then you get some promotional stuff. So we also wanted a tool that could achieve a nice mix. And the way Edgar does that is you load everything up into your library of content in Edgar and you categorize it all. So you have posts from your blog, you know, your podcast episodes, other resources that you find interesting, promotional stuff whatever it is for your business. And then you tell Edgar a schedule based on those categories. So you tell Edgar, okay, send out one of my old blog posts every Tuesday, Thursday at 3 p.m. And then Edgar just cycles through your library automatically to fill up your social accounts. Yeah, I can tell you that when I came to Edgar, originally I was using Hootsuite and I had tried Buffer and it, they both had the same problem. And that was that, yeah, I'd import a spreadsheet or a CSV file full of stuff that I want to tweet it out or share it on a Facebook page. And then I would forget to load it up again. <laughs> and so right. I'd go several months without anything going and being tweeted out. Yeah, that just seemed, you know, it seemed really weird to me that those tools, that other tools don't store your content. That was so yeah. odd to me. You know, we also had spreadsheets like you did of all our social media. I'm like, why does this live in a spreadsheet? Shouldn't this live in a social media? That'd make a lot more sense. So that's exactly what Edgar does. Okay, so let, let me ask you some like real newbie questions here in terms mm -hmm. of social media, like which I use. Uh, I mean, I have a blog and I post to it. And then from there, I send things out on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and so on and so forth. And uh, I definitely see that it brings in some traffic. But it seems to me like you're saying that if I'm, you know, for every blog post, I'm posting it once or let's say twice in like the really exceptional case, then I'm missing out on a ton and I'm just not doing it very well. Is, is that sort of the gist of it? 
Yes. I mean, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much because, you know, for every, most of us take, let's say at least two hours would be like a really quick time to, you know, blog post start to finish. So you're spending all this time on a blog post and the idea behind running a business and being on social media is that you have new people coming to you all the time, right? Your business wouldn't survive without new leads. So everyone who discovers you this month hasn't seen anything from July. And it's difficult for them to discover that. And they definitely haven't seen anything from a year ago. So why not keep using that great content that you've created and show it to all those people that are discovering you for the first time? And so I should not be depending on other people to share it or on search engines and so forth. If, if I'm not active about this, then I'm basically losing. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to market your business. Uh, you know, SEO is, is a huge source of lead gen for us as well. It's great to have that mix. But of course, if you're not putting stuff on social, no one's going to share it either. I mean, that's something we see at our company all the time. We'll run a, a status update for a blog post that was written a year ago and it gets 10 shares on Twitter for whatever reason. Mm. People found it interesting and picked it up. And so now we've just exposed it to this whole new universe. And, and that's all done automatically through Edgar. The other thing is, is that both Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm trying to think if there are any other social networks that I really look at or use on a regular basis, but those are kind of the three that I look at. People's status updates and posts on LinkedIn, posts on Facebook, they, they kind of fly by. If I'm not on at the right time, I won't see it. And so by putting it out, you know, at different times a day, multiple days during the week, it just gives people more of an opportunity to see things. And the funny thing is, is that I've put things into Edgar and had it tweet out stuff that's a year, two, three years old, and people will still retweet it. I'll get mm -hmm. three or four retweets off of it, um, where people are then going back and checking out this older content that I didn't have to do anything to get that exposure. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And the point is really important about the nature of social media. You know, the way we use Twitter, for example, is that we sign on and we look through the feed and, and that's all we see. So if someone didn't post something in that same five minute window that you signed on and looked at Twitter, you'll never see it. So it's not even just about, oh, new people seeing your post from July. It's about people who have been following you for years, but they're only seeing a tiny percentage of what you post. What what I'm wondering, and, and this is why I do the shows, I do the shows so I can talk to interesting people, and then I also do the shows so that I can learn something. What do you find is the most effective approach? I mean, how often should I be tweeting or posting mm -hmm. to Facebook pages and what kinds of content and things like that? I mean, do you have a strategy that you built Edgar for, or was it just so that you could have this library that you could schedule to go out? The answer is both. You know, how much you want to post depends on how much content you have, uh, the size of your audience. I would say for most people, posting about five times a day is a pretty good frequency, you know, spread out over the day of, of when your audience is online. So if most of your audience is in the US, browsing social media while they work, <laughs> as most of us do, in the kind of nine to five range that's a good time to concentrate your posts. Uh, you can't cover everyone. This is a question I get a lot. Like, what? how do I make sure that I'm reaching people in Asia and in Europe and in the US? I mean, of course, the only way to do it is just to be posting every half hour all day long. But I, I wouldn't worry about reaching everyone. And as far as a mix of content, a lot of it should be your own content. Let's say about 50% is just links back to your blog, podcast, whatever. And then maybe, you know, to use pretty loose, broad categories, maybe another 25% is other interesting content. 
Um, maybe about 10 to 15% is sort of more directly promotional stuff where you're linking to a book you wrote or telling people about your services or whatever. And then the maybe about 10% that's left over, let's say you're doing whatever makes sense for your business. Maybe it's little snippets of useful advice. I like to post inspirational quotes that entrepreneurs like sort of maybe it's funny images, other content that people tend to share on social media. Well, that's like vastly higher than anything I, I post. I mean, as I said, like I post a blog post, I don't know, maybe about once every two weeks or so on my blog. And yeah. I've got, and I've got a site that does a, a daily uh, video. So that goes out once a day. And, and I, I've been sort of wondering, gee, shouldn't I be getting more traffic? And the answer is yes, if I were posting more frequently <laughs> and actually reaching people, I guess. Uh, right. Uh, but there's creating the content and then they're showing people the content. And it's not if you build it, they will come. You have to work really hard to make sure that your content is is reaching people, which actually I think is really cool because a lot of people feel like, oh God, to make this work, I'm going to have to blog every day. And you really don't. You can actually create a lot less content, but show it to people a lot more. And I'm not going to be considered a spammer of some sort if I'm just constantly posting the same things. <laughs> I, 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 mean, right. I mean, like at a certain point, people are going to get a little tired of seeing, uh, oh, it's another blog post from Ruben. Oh my God, I've seen this before. Here's what's interesting. You see everything you post, but the people that follow you see basically like four to eight percent of what you post. So mm-hmm. to you, it seems crazy. And and everyone has this experience. You're like, Jesus, these people could not possibly want to see this from me again. <laughs> because you see it every time it goes out. But actually, again, maybe only five percent of your followers are seeing it. And also you have to remember they're following you for a reason. This is always funny to me when people are like, Oh, I don't want to bombard people with my blog. It's like why would they be following you on Twitter if they didn't want to hear about your blog? That's the only reason that they're following you. Yeah. When I did Angular Remote Conf, I was getting ready to, to launch the conference. I put all the tweets out. I had it tweeting about twice a day for the two months leading up to the conference, just saying, hey, get your tickets. And then I upped it the week that early bird ended and the week before the conference, those seven days. And I was tweeting three to four times a day, either this is your last chance to get a good deal for the early bird. Or I had, I had a library that was so-and-so is speaking. Don't miss out. Or, you know, we're really excited to have this talk. And I had 16 talks and then I had probably another eight or so promotional tweets. And I mean, I would get through all of those tweets in about four days. I, I had no complaints, zero complaints about me tweeting about the conference a lot. And for me, it was, yeah, I was thinking, well, man, you know, if anybody, but nobody's sitting there and reading my feed, like nobody goes and pulls up what I'm tweeting and going, man, he's tweeted the same thing like six times because people don't care. Right, right. Well, yeah, I love that you shared that. That's a, that's a great use case for Edgar One. Like you said, people don't care. If you see something that someone's posted before, you don't have rage about it, which is sort of what we imagine <laughs> for our audience is that they're going to come burn our house down if they see us tweet something twice. And it's like people who follow you, they know you run a conference. It, it's no yep. shocker that you're running a business, that you're promoting your conference, that you're promoting your blog. Like this is why people chose to follow you because they're interested in the conference. So they're not mad that you're talking about it. Well, how, how about the Twitter folks themselves? Like I know on my dissertation software, I had it automatically tweeting updates that were going on there. And I happened to get into trouble sometimes in that I had identical tweets and it would say, sorry, you're not allowed to do that. So do you have to have like a mix of tweets preset so that it doesn't ding you for that? That would only happen if you were sending them out the same tweet right after the other. Aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that was the bug that I had. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> 
Does Edgar, I mean, you mentioned tweeting out from nine to five, you know, roughly in your time zone. So I'm in the US, so probably I'll tweet from nine to five in the US, but I've seen other tools, and I don't know if Edgar is one of them, that actually knows when your followers are online or when they're active online and will tweet when it kind of reaches a critical mass or some threshold. Is that not the kind of thing that you're worried about or is that a, a kind of interesting? Yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, what those tools are doing is um, actually just seeing your your history and then basing times uh, on your history, which there's actually really great data within Facebook and Twitter themselves. And we have guides on our Edgar blog about how to find the best time of day to publish content. So you don't need a special custom tool uh, that's saying like, we're going to wait till everyone's online and then post. I'm, I'm pretty sure they can't actually do that. Uh, they're just looking at the history, but it is very smart to look at your social accounts and see, yeah, those more specific times of, of when your audience is online and, and fine tune from there. But I just, you want to get started. You know, a lot of people just make this way too complicated and they're like, oh, first I have to figure out the 10 optimal times and I have to gather all this data. Just start posting a few times a day at random times and then you can go in and tweak your schedule after you've had some time to look at the data for what's best for your audience. What happens when you are actually interacting instead of just sort of filling your feed with this automation? What happens if you start interacting with people What's the best practice there? I mean, should you pause your feed or something? It, it seems I, I have a I have an automation set up. It's not Edgar. It's just like a combination of Zapier and my Google Calendar that mm-hmm. I I schedule things to go out periodically. And it gets weird when I'm actually on Twitter and I'm interacting with someone, and then like a random tweet will fire. So that's weird to you. It, it's not weird to them. <laughs> so interaction is really, really important. There's sort of a fantasy that maybe you could just set up a tool like Edgar and then you're going to get all these leads from social media. I have not seen that happen. A tool like Edgar is great because it basically, Edgar handles all the busy work of updating your social media. But in order to grow your presence on social and in order to grow your traffic back to your website, you really need to interact with people. So you're forming those relationships, you know, new people are finding you to follow, maybe you're participating in Twitter chats or things like that. So that live time is super important. And the way I see it, you want to make your time on social only live time because software can handle the rest. You know, there's no reason for you to go into Twitter and think of something to say and, and schedule it or, or do it all live when software can handle that. So talking to people is super important. You definitely don't need to pause your feed. I can pretty much guarantee you that, again, your perspective, seeing everything that goes out, most people aren't really like checking what you're writing in your at reply to them. And then they're like cross-referencing with your feed and, and seeing what else you're saying. Or again, if they are, they just, they don't care. I have actually had people complain about me sending out too many promotional tweets. Maybe it's just trolls that follow me. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you know, whenever you're doing marketing in your business, you really have to measure the feedback you're getting and and if it's valuable, because there certainly is a level where people are just thinking that your account feels like a spam bot. And that's why it is important to have that mix, right? You don't want to just have a Twitter account 50% off today. And it just sends that out over and over again um, every half hour. (laughs) But, you know, for our business, we do a lot of email marketing. And there are always people, why are you guys sending me all these emails? You send too much email. I hate it. But the truth is, I don't, if they're not interested in Edgar, then they're not really valuable to us as a lead. 
right? That this is a business. We're not, we're not running this to entertain people. Um, we share content in hopes that it will help you and in hopes that maybe it will lead you to Edgar. So if you don't like receiving emails from Edgar, you're, don't seem to be very interested in Edgar and that's fine. And, and you can just unsubscribe, but I don't really take it too seriously when people are like, you're tweeting too much or you're emailing too much because those people aren't interested in, in your tweets or your emails with, with the caveat, of course, that yeah, if the majority of your audience was saying, this really doesn't feel good, this really feels spammy, then you would want to listen to that feedback. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sure this person or these people who have done it in the past are not really likely customers anyway. So, Right. And, you know, we have this bias of, of only listening to the negative feedback because, of course, well, most of the positive feedback is unspoken, right? If you have 500 people following you on Twitter and three people have told you that you tweet too much, then the other 497 are fine with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you're not getting 497 messages from them uh, telling you how much they love your Twitter feed. Oh, people rave about my Twitter feed all the time. Oh, good. I stand I wish. <laughs> yeah, except for, that long, except for that long string of things about conferences. I mean, really. I know, uh, right? <laughs> well, Laura, I'm, I'm curious then. This maybe is similar to what Jonathan was asking. How much of social media then is supposed to be sort of broadcasting interesting things for people who are possibly interested in my business so they'll turn to leads and how much of it is supposed to be a conversation um i would say the conversation the nature of social media is that you want that conversation to be happening every day if possible that doesn't mean that you spend more than five or ten minutes doing it every day and my little tip for social media is always that you want to leave a trail of evidence behind so the problem with social media is that it's designed to uh, waste time and, and get us to click things and watch videos. And the reason it can be tricky for marketing, I think, is that someone's like, okay, I'm going to sign on to Twitter now to do my social media marketing. And then you're looking through your feed, you start reading articles, right? You start exploring the internet as Twitter was designed to do. And that is not helping your business, you know? But mm -hmm. if you've just been clicking on articles, there'll be no trail of that. No one looking at your Twitter account can see that you just spent an hour reading articles. Whereas if you're actually interacting with humans, you can look at your account and you can see your at replies, you know, on Facebook, you can see your conversations or your comments or whatever. So I like to use that little trick to see if I'm actually spending my time well engaging with people. Have I left a trail behind or have I just read 10 blog posts that may be very interesting, but it's certainly not going to help grow my business. Mm -hmm. I also want to just uh, jump on the supposed to, you know, what, what, what should my Twitter feed, what is it supposed to look like? What am I supposed to tweet about? And, and really what it boils down to is what do you want? I mean, mm -hmm. what, what, what do you want from Twitter? I mean, some people want the social interaction. So they're, they're never going to use anything like Edgar because, mm -hmm. you know, they just want to live tweet about stuff and they want to react to what they see in the moment on Twitter. And then you have other people who are using it for business purposes. And so, I mean, you can, you can schedule 10 million tweets a day. And as long as people don't mind following you and they don't feel like it's way too much and they're getting what they want out of their Twitter experience by following you, then it's fine. So I don't know that there's necessarily a supposed to. I think mm -hmm. it really boils down to what are you looking for? What are you looking to provide other people on Twitter? And, you know, is it working for you? And then you can adjust your strategy as you go from there. I, I love that point. I think I, I could not agree with that more. And I also think that's part of the reason why social media marketing can seem so confusing to people because we use social media in so many ways. A lot of people love using Twitter to just chat with their friends. 
And that's cool. You know, I use Facebook as a major marketing tool for my business. And I also use the exact same Facebook to look at pictures of my friend's kids. And it's all the same Facebook. And I think that sort of can be a little confusing because what you would want to do for your business would totally make you a jerk on your personal Facebook account. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I would never like send out all this stuff to my friends, all these updates about my business. I'm like putting pictures of my baby up on my, on my personal Facebook account. So you do have to see clearly how you're using these tools in, in different ways, in different parts of your life and your business. Does that mean that you suggest people have separate accounts for their business and their personal stuff? You should always use a page for your business, right? You should not use a personal Facebook profile to promote your business. You should really create a page for it. What about on Twitter? Yeah, I was going to ask the same thing. I've had this problem a lot. It's really tricky. It really is tricky uh, because one of the most difficult things you can do is create too many accounts on social media. People often create too many and then they have three accounts to keep up with. Of course, using tools like Edgar makes this problem a lot simpler. On Twitter, so my Twitter, I, I use my personal handle, LKR, to promote my business. And I think that I have made a choice there where I am sort of drawing a line in the sand. And I don't use it as a tool to connect with my friends, which I did in the beginning of Twitter. It, it was a tool to chat with my friends. But now there's tons of stuff promoting my business. So if you're just there to find out about my life and, and chat with me, that's not going to be a great, great experience. Where my Instagram, I use that to connect with friends. And I use that about my personal life. And I don't promote my business on there at all. So you can have two Twitter accounts. You can just choose to use it for one purpose or the other. It kind of goes back to what Charles said, right? It's it's just making that deliberate choice, and there's not necessarily a right or wrong, I think. I can say that I, I have people that I connect with that I know personally on Twitter, and then I also have the vast majority of the people following me are because of the podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of personal like pictures and stuff up there. And for the most part, the people who are interested in me as more of an internet personality as opposed to a person that they know they find that refreshing as well, where it's, oh, he has kids and his four-year-old says funny things too. And, <laughs> you know, um, he goes through hard things with, you know, with his kids or his wife or, you know, oh yeah, you know, his son has ADHD and, and I can see where that's a struggle or I struggle with that or my kid struggles with that. And they, they identify with that. And so it's not always a bad thing. I mean, if you're on there and you're consistently complaining about your life and then trying to promote your business, you're probably hurting yourself more than you're helping yourself. And some people aren't going to be interested in those kind of personal or personality tweets, but other people are. And I think it really depends on what that persona is that you want to put out there. Right. What's your personal brand? Is it yeah. is it sharing pictures of your family? Do you keep it all business? Everyone gets to choose for themselves. But I will say, um, I've had the same experience where the more you share about your personal life, people really love that as a way to connect with you. Yep. What if you have more than one business? I mean, is, is that a clear point where you should have two Twitter accounts? Not necessarily. Um, I would always encourage people to err on the side of less social accounts, less blogs, less podcasts, uh, just because, you know, once you've done it, you see there, there's obviously a lot of work that goes into growing every channel. So I've seen people that have a Twitter account, that's their name. Um, and they use it to promote a variety of things. It depends on how different the businesses are, but like I have a friend that has had in the past a, uh, dating book and a Ivy League graduate MBA admissions consulting <laughs> business. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. And, I, have, I have things that are under my name. My Twitter account's my name, and I have things that are not relevant to the same audiences. 
well, so she, business. yeah, she just used her personal Twitter account to promote both. And, you know, people actually found it sort of interesting because it's like, yeah, she's a multifaceted person who has a lot going on. And, and it's sort of fun to read the blog posts about dating, even though she's an admissions coach. And a lot of people think, you know, that you are not allowed to do that. But it's kind of funny. It's like this thing that we do with business where we pretend that we're business people and we're, you know, take out our personal lives. And that's no fun. Like Charles said, right? Like talk about your kid having ADHD. We, we're real people and we have kids and we have problems and you don't have to pretend that you're this just very uh, pared down clean version of, of business you. It's okay to be a person that has more than one business. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see, so there are certain aspects of what I do and who I am that definitely turn off the audiences that follow me. You know, for example, I'm active Mormon LDS Christian person, you know, and I talk about my faith sometimes, but for a large group of my audience, you know, it makes them uncomfortable when I, mm-hmm. when I dig into that. And so I don't tweet about that as, as often, you know, I, I tweet about it sometimes and, you know, if it bothers people, then, well, it's my Twitter handle. So, you know, right. but, uh, I try not to put things out there that really make people uncomfortable. And I think if you had two lines of business where, uh, one line of business would bother the other line of business as opposed to just kind of being completely tangential to the other one and is only connected because you do both. I think those would be different things. Or you could put those on the same account, it seems. Whereas, you know, if you had, um, if you had one group of people that, you know, is completely turned off by another product that you have that you sell to a different audience, then, you know, maybe you would want to split those up. I can also say, though, that I have in TweetBot, I think I have 12 Twitter accounts on there. And uh, the reason is, is because I have Twitter accounts for each of the podcasts, which accounts for six of them. And then I've set up Twitter accounts for each of the remote conferences. But I think I'm going to quit doing that. And and this goes back to your point, Laura, is that those Twitter accounts are really only interesting and active for about two or three months. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not really promoting them until it comes around to the next year when I'm going to be doing the conference again. And the other thing is, is that people could use a hashtag for that just as easily right. and still be participating in there because you can search on and follow hashtags. And then I can just do all the promotion and stuff from my own Twitter account and the Twitter account for the podcast is relevant to it. Right. You just, you don't want to create too much work for people to try to figure out, okay, yeah. this guy's got 18 Twitter accounts, which ones am I going to follow? Yeah. But for each podcast, it makes a lot of sense because they reach different audiences and the other hosts on each of those shows tend to like to be able to follow the conversations about those shows. Mm. I have a question that probably has, has no answer. Um, I've been on Twitter since almost the beginning and it's changed so much since 2006, 2007 where it was, it was much, obviously it was much more intimate when there are fewer people on there and it was much more about your friends and colleagues, and now it's turned into this sort of, you know, news feed or like an RSS replacement mm-hmm. type of thing. And it's just crawling with celebrities and spam bots. And so my question is, how do people even read it now? Like, I don't even read it anymore. I just go to the notifications and respond, you know, I'll go in like once every couple of days and I'll have 50 notifications and I'll just deal with them. And that's about it. Like, do people actually sit there and, like, what do they do? Do they open up Twitter on their phone and actually read it? So, Jonathan, I'm guessing that you have followed back everyone who's followed you or, or you did that for a certain period. Is that right? Uh, I mean, I've got a, I'm following a lot of people, but nowhere near, uh, you know, less than half of what are following me. But you're following a lot of people that you're not interested in following. Well, no. I mean, I've been on for a long time. I pretty much follow people that are interesting to me. 
Okay. But you don't like, so why don't you like looking at your, your home feed if it's people who are interesting to you? It's just lower priority. I mean, it would be good. I mean, if I looked at it, it would be interesting, but it's just not, not a priority. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think you, I think you answered your, your own question there. I, I like looking at my home feed because I follow people that post interesting links and it's, you know, it's a, a fun way to kill time on the internet. Not everyone does that, right? Like, you know, all these tools are optional. Maybe you don't have time to look at Twitter or maybe you just choose not to. Maybe there's certain blogs you read or, or maybe you're um, among the, the very special people that manage not to kill time on the internet, which I think uh, we all aspire to. But so (laughs) people are using it all different ways, you know? I guess my question is like, is it more of like a desktop experience where they're in the, in the web browser? Are they using something like Hootsuite or whatever the, I don't know if there even are third party apps anymore. Are they on their phone using, like, what are the popular Twitter apps Mm. for consumption on the phone? Is it just the main Twitter app? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I'm not familiar with the stats off the top of my head for like, you know, desktop versus mobile, but um, people using Twitter tools, you have to remember that's, that's mostly just people using Twitter for promotional purposes, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't really ever discover those tools. And Twitter had that time that developers hated where they, they shut down all the third party stuff, which now they're trying to be like, wait, we changed our mind. So yeah, the vast, vast majority of people are using Twitter's you know, native app on their phone or, or going to twitter.com. I have to say too, back to your point of, you know, how do I follow my feed or things like that? I have used Twitter groups in the past to manage some of that. So I'll put people into groups if I, you know, if they're of a particular topic or interest. I've also unfollowed people, people that I know that I love talking to that never tweet anything interesting. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, I, I either curate my Twitter experience or, you know, in some instances, you know, I'll, I'll follow people because I want them to follow me back. I'll admit mm-hmm. to having done that, uh, or, or things like that. And then, yeah, eventually I'll just curate the experience one way or the other. And usually it's either a list or it's, you know, I'll just unfollow people because what they're saying on Twitter isn't, isn't interesting. They're not sharing anything that I, I really want, you know, not even personal stuff that would, you know, would help me keep up with what they have going on. And then what happens is my feed becomes people that I, just the people that I care about hearing back from. Now, lately, I followed a lot of people, and so that list is pretty large, and so I'm I'm opting more for the groups or hashtags that I want to follow. So yeah, I mean, I think you you know it reiterates the point that people follow for a reason. So I might have a friend that owns a salon in Austin, and she might be my best friend, but I don't live in Austin, so I don't care about the updates from her salon. There's no interest to me, right? So that doesn't mean that I don't want to be friends with her, but I'm not going to follow her Twitter account. And that makes sense. You know, she doesn't need people following. If it's promoting the salon, she has no interest in people in LA following it. Uh, it's all mutual. And so that's, that's, you know, it just brings up the reason why people worry way too much about bothering people. The cool thing about social media is it's all opt in. No one is listening to your messages that does not choose to be there. So you guys have mentioned hashtags a little bit. And I've always been curious about this. How important or how, how much does it raise the visibility of my tweets to include hashtags? And how carefully do I need to think about this before putting something out with hashtags? So you do not need to do the thing where people put like random, a bunch of random hashtags. I, I love those that. tweets. I'm not choosing <laughs> random ones. <laughs> That's right. You go to the ones that are trending and you use those. <laughs> yeah. I just ate a I just ate a piece of pie 
hashtag Barack Obama rights. ate a frog or whatever. I don't know. You know, because that's the one that's trending. And, you know, hashtag NBC sucks or I don't know. <laughs> right. So, you know, what makes this simple is it goes back to the we're using Twitter to promote our business. So even if you could get in front of 500,000 random Twitter followers, Twitter users, why would you want to? It doesn't really matter if you're putting out content for people who develop Ruby on Rails SaaS apps, right? The vast majority are not in that category. Uh, so Twitter hashtags or hashtags in general are useful mostly for specific conversations that you're participating in. You know, like Charles mentioned using a hashtag for a conference. That's a great way to check out the hashtag for the conference you're at say things on the hashtag and then people at the conference are exposed to your Twitter handle or on our Edgar Twitter account, we participate in Twitter chats, which is where various people host uh, a chat about social media or a chat about entrepreneurship and everyone talks together using this hashtag. So it's a great way for us to get exposed to new people who are targeted. So you want to use them for specific conversations like that. You definitely don't need to like search out, try to find relevant hashtags for every update to what you're saying. Well, I guess, I mean, let me rephrase that a little bit. If I'm trying to get increased visibility of tweets and I know that there's certain hashtags that a certain community might use on occasion to sort of identify things or self-identify, how much is it going to change the visibility of my tweets to add those? So, you know, for visibility, it's very simple on Twitter, right? The people that follow you are going to see your tweets and the people that click on the specific hashtag. So it only makes sense if people are specifically searching it out, like Charles said. Like, people are not mm -hmm. just, like, looking through Twitter for a Ruby on Rails hashtag, unless they're looking for people to spam. That's, like, the only reason you would ever do that. But if there's something, you know, hashtag dev chat that's happening this afternoon, then people are looking to participate in that conversation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can contribute to that, actually. That when uh, we were recently at, uh, well, I guess it was just me out of this group, but uh, at a conference and the MDs were paying close attention to the hashtag for the conference while they were there. You know, it was a live mm -hmm. event and it was a lot of interesting things going on and people were, speakers were sharing links that way. So it was a great way to keep up to date on the news of just that thing. So, Reuben, if you, if there's a conference going on, that you're not necessarily at, but it has a hashtag and you've got something that's relevant for that particular audience, that would be a good time to use that hashtag because you'd be putting it right in front of, you know, you don't want to be a jerk about it. You it need to be relevant mm -hmm. to what was going on in the thread. If somebody was having a conversation about something that you had a great blog post about, for example, or uh, you had a link to another great blog post about it, even though you're not at the conference, there's nothing stopping you from using that hashtag. And I, I don't know how you'd schedule that in a, in a tool, but it would be a good thing to do live i suppose interesting i want to talk a little bit about my weak point in uh social media and that is facebook pages I, mm. I i have no idea when it comes to facebook pages i mean i i know i can do some of the same things i'm doing with twitter but how do you how do you gain visibility with facebook pages facebook pages have gotten really really tough because there is so much less discovery mechanisms with facebook pages than there are with Twitter. What's so cool about Twitter is that anyone can communicate with anyone else instantly. Facebook pages don't talk back and forth to other pages in the same way. So Facebook is definitely weird, weird right now. So what we did at Edgar is we actually built up our Twitter following first. 
And then we started on Facebook since we had sort of an audience to carry over, you know, posting to your mm-hmm. Twitter account, Hey, come check us out on Facebook. Um, and now the reason we have a larger presence on Facebook is, is largely due to ads because we do Facebook ads and, and you collect a certain amount of likes there. So the deal with Facebook is that most people have sought you out to find your Facebook page. They're interested in your brand. They're interested in following updates from you. So they like your Facebook page. You also can get exposure by your users sharing things from your Facebook page. And there are certainly brands and companies that have done that very successfully, but it tends to be like a more specific type of content. Like if you have funny videos, if you're a funnier die, people are going to share your Facebook content. If you do Ruby on Rails tutorials, it just doesn't get shared as much on Facebook as like Facebook has just sort of become a place, I think for more entertainment content where Twitter is not really that way. So if you want to just use Facebook, like to use a tool like Edgar to just like you have all this content anyway, might as well post on Facebook. It's just sort of another channel to communicate with people, you know, and it's good to have those those options, especially because these are all third party tools that you have no control over. So I think it's smart to build up an audience in several places. And as the tools ebb and flow, you can adjust your strategy. I'll tell you at Edgar, we're much more focused on Twitter right now. And we use Facebook more for the paid advertising. Mm, Interesting. I have a question about Facebook also, which is like Facebook etiquette. And this was just this is this is semi random, but I got a friend request on Facebook, I guess it was like three, four months ago. And I tend not to use Facebook very much. I mean, I go on it, but you know, sort of approve friends every so often in a batch. And I get a message from the guy the next day or two days later saying, Hey, I friended you. Why haven't you approved it yet? <laughs> and I was like, what the heck? And he said, you know, it's really rude to ignore someone's friend requests. And I said, well, I'll get to it when I get to it. And he said, fine, I'm rescinding the friend request. <laughs> <laughs> so am, am I the social media monster that he made me out to be? Or is he just a psychopath? <laughs> or both? Yeah, I, I would not I would not worry about that guy. Again, everyone gets to choose how to use these tools. Most people I found that friend people they don't know on Facebook have come to regret it because it no longer makes Facebook um, an enjoyable experience. So because I'm someone who sort of, you know, put myself in the public eye in the small business world doing podcasts and writing blog posts and whatever, I get uh, Facebook requests from people I don't know every single day as a friend request. And I ignore them because I'm, I'm not interested in connecting with people I don't know on Facebook. There's other ways that you can connect with me. And you can't, this stuff can get out of control, right? Like these are tools that millions of people have access to simultaneously. You have to create filters on them. That That's just the nature of it. And, you know, you see this with Twitter as well. People start following, people follow 10,000 random people to try to get some follows back. And then that's why I was asking Jonathan, did you do that? Is that why your home feed is uninteresting? Because you are just following spammers if you're doing that. And I've seen it really ruin the experience for a lot of people. And they're like, I hate Facebook. I hate Twitter. And it's because they've inadvertently put themselves in, in spam world, which is no fun for anyone. That's right. I was just looking at my followers right now and I'm trying to figure out why I'm following so many people. And it is actually all people. And the reason I'm following them now that I look at it is because we've met somewhere in person and I wanted to let them be mm-hmm. able to DM me. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if that's still a rule, but there was a period there where you could only DM someone if they were, if you were mutually following each other. Right. That actually has changed a bit. Now you can uh, adjust your settings for, for what you want there. Yeah. But, but to Ruben's point, uh, I had a rule for a really long time with Facebook is that I would only friend you on Facebook 
if I knew you well enough that if I ran into you in a restaurant, I'd sit down at the table with you without even being in <laughs> So it was a very small group. And I've since expanded it a little bit outside of that, but it's almost all people that I've actually met in real life, at least, and not people I only know from online. And you're going to offend some people because some people use Facebook differently than that. Some people, you know, if you chat with someone on a podcast, you have a good time, they might send a Facebook request because it's their way of being like, hey, let's get to know each other better. So if you have the rule, only people that you actually know in person, they could not like that. And that's unfortunate. And that's just part of it. That's all these new tools that we're figuring out. By the way, um, if anyone feels bad about Ruben not being their friend, I just sent him a friend request on Facebook and he accepted it. So if he likes you, it only takes him a couple of minutes. Catch me during the podcast, folks. That's right. <laughs> I was wondering who this weirdo Chuck was, but I said I'd, I'd approve him now. Uh, oh, yeah, a scary guy. <laughs> I, I, I'm also sort of curious to hear just, you know, Laura, tell us a little bit about your business and how long it's been going. Because you mentioned, I think, before we started recording that you now have, what, 13 people working in the business. So this is not just a, like a fun little fun, you know, fun thing that you're doing on the side. This is like serious stuff. So how long have you been doing it? How did you grow it? And would you suggest this sort of thing, like a product business to people who are doing consulting? Yeah. So uh, Edgar launched July of 2014. So it's been going for almost wow. a year and a half now. We have 3,000 paid users. It's it's grown really fast. And yeah, we have 13 employees now. Uh it's a Ruby on Rails app, but I am not a developer. I'm not technical, so I don't really know much about that side. I come from the social media training world, and this was my idea for a product, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, that could improve some of the problems that I had with social media software from a marketing perspective. Uh, I've done consulting in the past. I love having a product business. I, I love it a lot more than training. It's that dream of uh, reoccurring revenue, which we have at Edgar. It is not Massive reoccurring revenue. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if anyone's really cracked the code on that one, but it is reoccurring revenue and it's a great business model. And uh, it does allow you to take time off. You know, I mentioned before the podcast started that I took a three month maternity leave earlier this year. Uh, and it's great to have a business where, where I can do that. It feels really good. Was there a point that you did something that really hockey sticked the growth or was, has it been a slow build? It's, it's been more steady. So I mentioned that I had a social media training business before. So I had a massive leg up because I had been building that business for five years. That business still exists in various forms, but we're sort of shifting all the attention over to Edgar. Uh, so spending five years building a list of entrepreneurs interested in social media marketing is, is my growth hack of the day. So we had huge momentum to grow quickly in the beginning, but we've just been doing uh, pretty typical online marketing. You know, we do social media marketing, we do content marketing, uh, we do paid advertising with Facebook ads, and now we're starting to get on AdWords. I'm on uh, podcasts like this to promote the product, uh, guest posts. You know, we're not doing anything super innovative. We're just making a great product that people tell their friends about and that people love. It's, it's such a huge, huge part of why we've been successful and and doing some good old fashioned online marketing too. I love that five years of list building for instant success. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I see on the website that your call to action is request access. What's that all about? Is it you in beta? It can't, you can't be still in beta. So what's the, what's the concept there? Yeah. So that's actually something, um, we've just been testing recently. So 
I'm a huge believer in building a list and in email marketing. And I think, you know, for everyone listening to this podcast that maybe has a software product, this is the huge piece that so many software products are missing. It's crazy to me how many software businesses either don't have an email list or have not focused at all on building their list. And most people who come to your site are not ready to buy at that moment. That That's just the nature of it. We do research. We take time. So, so many websites, if someone comes to your site and they're not ready to buy your software right then, they're out of your universe. You know, you haven't collected their email. You haven't tried to get any way to stay in touch with them. So at Edgar, we use a um, request invitation or request access, or there's actually a split test running right now um, where that button says get started. Uh, we've tried different ways to phrase it. But really what it is, is, is we want to stay in touch with you. We want to get your email address. Uh, we want to keep you updated about Edgar and then you can do your research and, and you can buy when you're ready and, and not forget about us because you've forgotten to take the action to come to our website again. And we recently tested a, a more typical SaaS, um, start with a free trial, and that performed dramatically worse than this good access path. Wow. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's really cool. So let's say someone wants to start ramping up on social media use. Like they know that they want to get more people to their site. They know that, you know, they should be building a list. I mean, a list, I guess, isn't exactly social media, but it's like, what are the first steps someone should do given that you've now said, oh, you should really be doing all these different things. What are the first steps like with what are the first steps which, to, which to part get the exactly? word out? To, I, I would say mostly, mostly with um, like social media. Like what are the first steps someone should take if they want to start getting the word out with social media besides using Edgar, of course. Yeah, I mean, using Edgar is genuinely a huge shortcut just because people find the category framework really useful because we give you these categories that you can fill in, uh, which just makes it feel a lot less like you're just starting with this blank slate and you have no idea what to say. So I would do what we did at Edgar, which is start with blogging, start with content marketing, you know, maybe blog once a week, once every two weeks if you can't manage once a week, and start following people on Twitter. Set up a Twitter account for yourself or your company. Look for people in your industry, things that your customers have in common, you know, people who are writing blogs that your customers read, influencers in your industry. Start following those people. Start talking to those people. Start sharing great content from your blog. Because content marketing is so important because people don't so often just share links to something to buy. You know, you have to be really enthusiastic about something to say, on your Twitter account, you know, unprompted, Edgar's so amazing, you should go out and buy it. Here's the link. You, know, you have to have a mega fan to just decide to post that on Twitter. But a, a lot of people are going to post valuable content. That's kind of what we do with social media. So you drive people to your site via your blog, and then hopefully it's relevant to them and, and they'll explore and they'll develop an interest in your tool or service or, or whatever you're selling. So that's that's sort of the like, you know, one one minute version. And then while you're there, you give them the option to opt into your email list. Exactly. So you can stay in touch with them. So you're not asking the customer to do so much work to be like, hey, why don't you remember us? And why don't you seek us out? And why don't you do all the research to find us? Make it easier for them. Have you looked at, the, at Twitter cards at all? Or does Edgar have any, is there any relationship between Edgar and Twitter cards, which I guess do have now sort of one-click email signups and one-click purchases and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So you can't do that's more like Twitter um, advertising based. So we're we're an organic tool, but I think Twitter cards are definitely a, a cool thing to add into your your arsenal for sure. You've mentioned email marketing quite a bit, actually. And how do you see email marketing 
maybe with a tool like Drip, which kind of reminds me of the email version of Edgar a little bit. There's some seem like some parallels there. How do you see those two things interacting with each other or playing on each other or mm-hmm. playing off of each other? So I really, the way I see it in my head is I just imagine it as different ways to reach people. Again, to make things both easy for your prospects and your customers and to make sure you're heard in such a crowded world. So when you're reaching people in their inbox and they follow you on Twitter and they follow you on Facebook and you're using Facebook ads to show up to them, when I say that, you know, it might feel like a lot, but to a user perspective, that just means you're there. It doesn't mean you're everywhere. That's, that's sort of what it takes, honestly, to get noticed at all. And I know that can be a little intimidating to a small business, but that's why it's so important to use these automation tools because that's just the truth of, of the online marketing landscape. So yeah, using autoresponders, using drip campaigns, uh, using Edgar to automate your social media, the more you can automate this to have messages going out automatically with relevant, useful content that's how a small business, that's how an entrepreneur can manage social media. So many people give up because they're like, it's way too time consuming because it is if if you're doing everything manually. So I just view it as a lot of different ways to reach people to make it easy for them to find you and consume your content. So in a, in a landscape like that, a marketing landscape like that, and in a world where mobile has become the primary computing platform, does SEO matter anymore or is it, you know, is that maybe number three behind email marketing and social media marketing? What do you think? No, it's still, it's still huge. I mean, it's a huge source of leads for us at Edgar. Um, you know, you can decide as a business how much emphasis you're going to put in various places. I will always place a very high importance on SEO because that is just traffic coming in that you haven't actively done anything for. The most active is something like a Facebook ad, where as soon as you stop paying for the most active from your perspective, I mean, as soon as you stop paying for that ad, a hundred percent of your traffic is gone. You know, there, there's no residual traffic from Facebook ads, organic tools like social media tools. You build up an audience. You don't have to be poking at it every day for people to discover it. it you don't have to have it turned on like a Facebook ad and then SEO. You definitely need to do things to maintain your SEO. But once you get into Google's machine and you have fallen into the favor of Lord Google for various reasons, your leads can continue to, to grow and grow and grow uh, and be just a huge source of, of revenue for your business that, that really is more passive over time, you know, based on the active work that you're doing. And the cool thing is SEO is becoming smarter and smarter to how people are using the internet, right? You can't really game SEO anymore. Like, oh, just stick it in your title tag. Then people will follow you on Twitter, which is frustrating. People follow you on Twitter. People find your website, which is sort of frustrating for people that they can't do these little tricks. But what I like about it is Google is getting smarter in recognizing what genuinely makes a good website. And it looks for clues like, are people sharing this on social media, which people tend to share good stuff. So what's cool about SEO now is if you follow this general online marketing landscape and do all these different things, you don't necessarily have to know these SEO hacks to start to show up in in search results. So Laura, I have a different question. So I have uh, three kids and uh, my eldest two are uh, 14 and 12. And you know, they have phones and they're on social media. It's been, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but certainly in Israel, kids starting like, I don't know, fifth grade already, fourth or fifth grade already have social media accounts, typically on WhatsApp, and they're constantly, you know, communicating with one another. But they are no longer interested in, you know, Facebook, Twitter. They, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a few days ago, I mentioned to my kids that I had a Snapchat account. They're like, you? 
do you have a Snapchat account? I said, yes, all cool people have Snapchat accounts. And they said, that's why we're so surprised. And, <laughs> and I, I realize that we're, we're using social media here for business, but mm-hmm. is there a danger that we're sort of targeting the wrong social media or that we've sort of missed the boat? in our dinosaurness? There's a danger in targeting the wrong things. And that, like you said, you do need to be aware of, of which platform people are on. So, you know, Instagram, if you're targeting, you know, 50 year old male executives, a lot of them are not yet on Instagram, <laughs> right? It's, it's becoming more and more mainstream, but they're not there. So you'd be wasting your time there. You know, Pinterest is still much more female heavy. If you sell primarily to men, Pinterest is probably not the best use of your time. If you sell to 12 year olds, don't get on Facebook. Like you said, they're not there anymore. So mm-hmm. you do want to be aware of these larger trends. But the good news is like the few mainstream tools are the few mainstream tools. This is the thing. People stress so much about like, do I have to be on Periscope now? Like now Meerkat's the thing. Now Periscope's the thing. But as a business, you don't want to be the first one there. You want the huge audience, you know, like, you could you could spend your time on Periscope, but everybody's already on Facebook and on Twitter. So like, why don't you just chill out on Periscope for a little bit and you can see if it actually gets that larger adoption. Unless it's specific to your niche, right? Unless like your world, everyone in your little world, they're the ones that have adopted Periscope, then maybe it makes sense. But you don't have to stress about keeping up with the latest, greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Unless you're selling to 12-year-olds, then, then I guess you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other questions before we get to our picks? Is there anything we should have asked Laura that we didn't have the insight to bring up? Oh, I don't. I I think we covered a lot of ground. I think it was good. All right. Well, let's do picks then. Uh, Reuven, what are your picks? Sure. So I've got uh, just one pick for this week. So I do, uh, you know, several blogs, newsletters, sorts of things. I've got my daily tech video site. I've got my Mandarin Weekly site that I do for students of Chinese, and so I'm constantly trying to sort through lots and lots of feeds. And um, so I've been using Feedly for, I guess, the last six, eight months or so. And I'm even using, because I'm a cheapskate, I've even been using the free version, um, although I'm thinking strongly about using the paid version so it can go into programs. And I just find it to be really convenient, easy to use. They seem to have all the feeds I'm interested in. I'm just very happy. And in part, truth be told, I'm interested in possibly paying them a, the token amount per month that they want, both to uh, you know hook into some programs that I could write to automate things, and also just because I feel like, you know, they're doing a good job. I might as well might as well support them as well. So um, I know there are lots of readers out there, but uh, I've been pretty happy with Feedly. All right, Jonathan, what are your picks? Uh, well, in the spirit of the social media theme of this episode, uh, <laughs> I'm going to first pick Moiska Marsh. Uh, has a website called Super Spicy Media, and she helps people who are maybe struggling with getting their heads around social media understand sort of you know how to set up a Facebook ad or you know when to when the best times to tweet are that sort of thing. Uh, she's got, uh, you know, she has some services around that, but she's got a great blog that, uh, she's, she has touches tons and tons of excellent posts on. So if people are thinking about doing more social media marketing, check out superspicymedia.com slash blog for, uh, tons of great tips. And also Kurt Elster has a page that he put up for his speaking gig at W freelancing conference. And on his list, uh, meet Edgar is on his list or Edgar, I guess is the actual name, right? You can uh, call it either. Okay. So, uh, Edgar's on his list, drips on his list, woofoo, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he's also got a bunch of other great tips for people for sort of taking a lot of the grunt work out of running your business. So you can go to kurtelster.com slash DYF and we'll put those in the show notes. 
All right. Well, um, I'm going to make a couple of picks here for kind of the social media stuff. I actually use Edgar. I really like it. It just provides me with what I need. I have used Hootsuite in the past. In fact, I still have my Hootsuite account because it costs like five bucks a month. And it's easy for Mandy to manage a lot of the social media stuff live that way so she can tweet stuff out on multiple accounts and things like that. So it's pretty handy. I also use TweetBot. And I use it on my phone and on my desktop. And I just, I really, really like the notifications. And so um, that has worked out really well. Um, one other pick I'm going to ha- I'm gonna put out there, and this is kind of a, uh, how do I say it? it? It may or may not be officially sanctioned by Twitter, and it might get you in trouble. Um, but I've been using unfollowers.com. And the way that it works is it allows you to follow a whole bunch of people at once. So Twitter's terms of use say that you have to click the button to follow people. So you actually have to click. If you follow 100 people, you have to click the follow button 100 times. But you can look at followers of other accounts and then follow them um, and things like that. And I found that it's a really effective way to get people to follow me back, which is interesting. Some of them see me pop up in their, you know, Charles Maxwood has followed you email or on Twitter and Again, because they've listened to one of the shows, then they'll follow me back. And the other part of unfollowers.com that it does is it then sends them an automatic direct message that says, hey, do you listen to one of the shows? And I mean, unless they've been on the show, it doesn't really feel automated. And I really do want to know. And then I can start following up from there. And so I usually have during any given day about 30 or 40 interactions with people through direct messages on Twitter. And this is all because of unfollowers.com. So I know that they're trying to keep people from spamming other people. But in my case, it's actually worked out that it's been a really, really nice way for me to find people that I otherwise wouldn't be able to find who listen to the podcast and get value from them and then be able to have a conversation with them. So I'm going to pick on followers.com as well. My last pick is, and I know that this has been talked about on the show before. I think Jonathan was talking about the way he uses Basecamp on a previous episode and it got me to go back and try it out. And I've, I've really been liking the way that it's influenced my workflows and I can upload videos and stuff. And so some of the social media stuff that I do, like I said, is through Hootsuite or something. And it's not actually me tweeting, but I do take advantage of the opportunities to interact, as I said before. And so, Basecamp allows me to upload a video that says, hey, here's how you use this tool or here's here's how you tweet this out or here's how you compose a tweet that I want put out there. And uh, I can put that directly on the to-do that I hand off to either Mandy or my other assistant, Gerald. So those all work out really nicely. And uh, I've been really, really happy with the way that this has gone so that I can automate a lot of this stuff and then do the follow-up interactions myself, uh, which is the part that I really enjoy. So Those are my picks. Laura, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. uh, My pick is my all-time favorite app, Pocket, and more specifically how I use Pocket. So I have their browser extension, and whenever I see anything on the internet that I want to read, I save it to Pocket because I admitted to uh, spending time, wasting time on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, But it helps me waste less time because instead of reading an article that looks interesting, I just save it to Pocket, and then I have my little pocket reading times later. So I can focus on work when I'm at the computer. And then when I feel like reading some blog posts, I can go to my pocket app, usually on my phone and spend some time catching up. So I love it. Very cool. If people want to follow up with you or find out what you're up to and check out Edgar, what do they do? 
Yeah, so our website is meetedgar.com. We're also Meet Edgar on Twitter and on Facebook. And my personal Twitter is LKR. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, I think this was very helpful for people who are trying to figure out what to do with social media. And we'll catch everybody next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 